This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Today, I want to talk about the science of good content. So, of course, we talk about how do we create better content? How do we get in front of people? How do we stay relevant all the time? And today I have with me Amanda Milligan. She's the marketing director at Fractal and also the host of Cashing In on Content Marketing, the podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts. Amanda, how's it going? You know, pretty well, uh, despite our current climate these days. <laughs> but uh, we're doing pretty well. Happy to be in the digital space. That, that is actually, a, that's a very true statement. And, you know, it has been, uh, I've been writing so much about the coronavirus. It's just, there's a new angle every day. How do you Zoom? Yes. Do you rebrand your webinars to Zoom meetings? Um, what do you do if somebody wants to shake your hand? Which still happens. People still try to shake hands when they see each other. Um, but the science of good content, tell me about it. What does that mean? What um, what can we share with people oh, today? Oh, God, so much. <laughs> I work at a, Fractal is essentially a growth marketing agency, but we focus on content. So a lot of our successes come from understanding what makes content succeed no matter what the objective is. A lot of the trick to that has been figuring out uh, what, not only what people are interested in. So there's kind of like that side of just like what the audience wants, but also what publishers want. Because a lot of what we do is we create new content that uh, we strive to get media coverage for, for a variety of reasons. Our clients might want to build links, get more brand awareness. So understanding not just what people want to read, but what the publishers might want to publish is a very uh, kind of intricate combination. And then once you're able mm -hmm. to achieve that through your content and your pitching, you can get a lot of really fantastic results. So over the years, we've we've looked into a lot of different things that can uh, that we can use to inform the type of content that we create and increase the chances of success there. So uh, that's actually, that's a good tangent. We can go on for a second, if you don't mind. I mean, really what you're talking about is earned media, right. right? Through your content marketing. And what's interesting about that. So here's uh, everybody and their brother, in my opinion, have written about how do you work in your home office? How do you work remotely? Right. And when that first started, I wrote about it and I didn't, I'm not the, I can't say I'm the expert. I work at home and I have for a while, um, but I basically crowdsourced it, right? Like, what are your tips? Send them to me. And really early on, I published that. And then NBC News asked me to go on like nine stations wow. in like 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. or something like that. Um, East Coast to Des Moines, I think, was the furthest west. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because what happened is I wrote about it so early they were looking for people to mm -hmm. talk about it, and I showed up, right? And today, I mean, there's people are now publishing books on remote work just because of this. Um, so how important, I mean, it seems to me timing is kind of important too, right? I mean, would you Absolutely. It goes back to kind of newsworthy 
qualities. Timeliness is a classic one. That's what anybody wants to talk about something if it's timely or newsworthy in some other way. Timeliness is just one of the most common ones. And I think companies struggle with this because they're not always going to have timely updates. Typical PR involves maybe you have a new product or there was an acquisition or something uh, and they're used to sending out press releases. But a lot of what we do is figure out, like, how do we create something new that's newsworthy? And a lot of that goes uh, back into data. And that's something that more and more people are doing, which is good. And it's basically doing your own research. Because not only are you creating something brand new, you are positioning yourself like you did as an authority on a topic if you are doing that work yourself. And especially in your case, if you're the first one there. So that is certainly something that we do a lot with our clients. And what was interesting about that, I am I have no intent of um, positioning myself as the authority on remote <laughs> right. work, right? Um, like at all. And really, um, I don't think some of the stations as an expert at uh, in remote work, but some of the stations said, this is really great reporting, good reporting, uh, news correspondent Christoph Trapp. And I kind of appreciated that because I had all these sources in the article, right? It wasn't just me saying, here's mm-hmm. what I would do. It's like, here's what all these people are saying you should do. And it's all together. Um, I, I guess the other question I have for you is when brands try to do that. So I think, so when I did my article, I, you know, had, I don't know, 12 people in the article or whatever it was. And then the news picked it up and then I went on the news. But from the time I, I got the quotes, the time I've published it, it was ours, right? I didn't have to go through approval help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's definitely a thing. Um, and that's, you know, people internally struggle with that. They know that they're going to have to get a lot of things approved uh, and that that has to be built in. So that's why it is it like that whole concept of, I think what you're kind of getting at is like newsjacking where you're really trying to be timely with something that's already happening and you're trying to put something out there and you might need a day's approval before you can do that. Right. Like that's definitely a thing and it can be prohibitive Um, in different circumstances. You can sometimes I recommend to people like if they're planning to do this long term, if they're going to keep producing content to have contacts that they can refer to quickly um, and have a process set up for approvals, like in these cases where it's breaking news or what have you, that maybe there's like an expedited way you can move about that process rather than the standard way. But that is that I can definitely be a challenge. You definitely have to cut down that process to, to get there. Um, that's that's just kind of been my experience. All right. Moving off the newsjacking topic. And I, I know that's the term everybody uses. I use it, too. It sounds pretty negative, <laughs> yeah. right? We're trying to. We're, we're trying to add value and yet we're doing it while we're newsjacking. Sounds like carjacking or whatever. <laughs> um, what, uh, what other tips, not necessarily with earned media, but what, what other um, things have you seen work for, for companies out there trying to stay relevant through content? Yeah, stay relevant. That's a tough one. I mean, like that's what everybody wants to do. And even whether it's earned content or not, we really have found a lot of success with that data-driven approach. And actually, that's, even me saying that doesn't mean anything because people use it in so many different ways. Like some people say data-driven content because they create it based on what's already performed well for them in the past, right? Data informed their strategy. Uh, I also say it in terms of like maybe data-centered content, meaning we did our own research and we've done surveys or social scrapes or, you know, manual, we've done like germ swabs and all kinds of stuff. Because when you can come to the table with a study of some sort, 
and position it as an exclusive thing, and that's key, that's a key part of our promotion strategy, then people are much more likely to be interested in it. It's not something that's regurgitated. You know, even if you're using a, a data set that's already been out there, that doesn't mean that it's been illustrated in a way that people understand or care about. Do you, there are so many government documents that are so boring <laughs> and just convoluted. And just to take things like that and package it in a way that makes people care can be extremely impactful. Uh, so we we think about, first of all, and this is, I think people can get caught up in just like the type of content they're creating. They get excited about it. They make something flashy and they hope it does well. But first and foremost, it's the objective of what you're trying to do. And what I always say is one piece of content cannot accomplish everything. So starting at the very beginning, you're just trying to decide what your priorities are. Are you trying to build authority? If that's the case, then you should be doing your own original research. Um, but maybe it's you're trying to build brand awareness in certain audiences and you have to reach them differently than you would other audiences. Or if you're trying to build links, how are you going to acquire those links? Who, Which audience are you trying to attract and have linked to you? And all those things, there's overlap for sure. But there are subtleties in choosing one over the other. And uh, no matter what, something new is definitely going to bring you pretty far. And if you're talking about like on-site content or you know, if you're writing a blog or something, you're not always going to be doing just like on the field research, right? That's not necessarily feasible, but it still has to provide some kind of value that everyone else in the SERPs is not providing. Otherwise, why should you rank higher than them? Um, so even if you're getting other people involved, however you decide to do it, it's making sure that you have your objective set and the methodology you're using matches that objective uh, really well. But there's that combination there. Yep. Yeah. And and we do have an episode here uh, with Michelle oh, yeah. Lynn that, that, dives, that dives quite a ways, uh, quite deep into um, how to do your original research. Um, but so the one thing, Michelle, and I didn't talk about, though, and I just thought of that as you were talking, you know, what kind of data can you use? So I'm thinking about uh, probably because I hadn't written this article at that time when I was talking to her. But everybody, in my opinion, currently seems to be talking about Zoom. I've taught I've, and I've used Zoom for, I, I don't know, two, six years, probably, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you know, the video conferencing yeah. platform and, and everybody, everybody today is talking about it. I showed my wife how to use it. My five year old is having class meetings on Zoom. People have um, happy hours, whatever. So I wrote an article on uh, the headline is it's over on AuthenticStorytelling.net. Should I rebrand my webinar as Zoom meetings since everyone now seems to love Zoom? Talk about a bold statement, right? Because is that even correct? Um, so then I took the Hootsuite sentiment um, program, right? And I looked, are people, well, I didn't look, Nick Martin at Hootsuite looked, are people actually, is that actually true? Is there a mm -hmm. positive sentiment? And it seems like there is. Um, and it's mostly neutral, but the neutral sentiment has gone way up and positive is definitely more than negative. And then I looked for um, Google Trends. How many people are searching for Zoom meetings and how many people are searching for webinars? And webinars has kind of stayed uh, the same over time here. And then Zoom meetings is currently shooting through the roof. So my point is, I'm trying to say, when you say, when you talked about the data, you could just get data like that, right? That's readily available. You don't have to do a six-month oh, yeah, research Oh, yeah, absolutely. Project. And that's the thing. It'll vary. A lot of the time, it's there, but people don't have the time to put it together. Even hours, right? Not everybody has... 
five hours in their week that they want to sit there and answer these questions that you already have. And that's what I do. You know, I, I market fractal, but the way that we market ourselves is the way that we market our clients. We do our own research. I just published something with Moz where I use the Uber suggest tool to see which keywords are performing more now because of COVID-19. And that's just a question that people had. It was, everyone's kind of wondering how does this affect search? What are people searching for? And if you, I just had to take the time. It was, you know, several hours, but just sat there and typed it in. It, it wasn't something where I had to hire, you know, other people. It wasn't something, you know, like a lab or anything like super intense, but it takes, it, it takes the right idea and it takes the time. So to scale it is difficult for a lot of companies. You know, you can do it every now and then, but they can't do it on a regular basis. Um, and to have the tools to package it in certain ways, but coming up with the idea is a, is a huge part of it. And, you know, that's what we're talking about today, which is like what kind of ideas go into the content that make it more likely to succeed, despite how you, even the, you know, how you execute the methodology or what the design looks like, or what you write about it, that being uh, that idea that you had was based on some kind of suspicion you had that people might be interested in it, right? That, that that's already a thing. And then you investigated it. And I think that's a great source of content. Well, and the other thing, I mean, I've used Uber suggest, in fact, I just used it today um, to do some research, but, but, you know, just because you have the idea doesn't mean you can actually analyze it. Right. So, so at the end of the day, you couldn't write about that topic if you didn't know how to use Uber suggest, if you didn't know how to analyze it. Right. Or if you don't know how to do that yet, then then you have to talk to somebody. So, um, so there is there is probably a barrier there for some people as they're diving in, right? Is what I'm saying is that actually correct? Yeah, yeah, you know what absolutely. I, mean? I, I think sometimes it'll be more intuitive than other times, but that's I mean that's why people hire us is because they might have ideas that they'll say, you know, we've thought about doing this for a long time, but we don't know how or we don't have the resources to literally the hours or the <laughs> understanding of certain tools or you know, this just isn't what we do on a daily basis. And to be able to have that knowledge can definitely speed things up for you. And, you know, we use like so many different methodologies at this point that we're, that we're just so accustomed to using. I mean, if you're, if you're in a smaller company or you don't have money to invest in, a, in an agency or develop the content externally, I would start with what you know and see what kind of questions are coming up that you could answer with what you know. But yeah, in order to like really broaden the scope of what you're able to do, it does help to, to get some more people involved. And how do you feel about the, the, the content type that's best for you? So for example, you know, this podcast, I mean, we're, you know, these podcasts, um, you know, we have an opening, we have an ending, we have, uh, there's a little bit of editing, not too much. Um, but then, you know, it's relatively easy to produce. And it's, it's as long as you have good guests, you know, like you who know what they're talking about, it's a good conversation, right? So the production time is relatively low. Now, that doesn't mean anybody will listen to it today, right, or uh, right away. Uh, but how do you feel about picking the right channel um, that, that works best for you as, as the, the, the company representative or owner. Or yeah. I mean, person. that's definitely a huge piece of the puzzle. And it's, it's also goes back to kind of marrying two different things. It's trying to figure out what suits the content itself. So you don't want to make something a video just for video sake. You want to make sure it makes sense for what you're the story you're trying to tell. And then also 
in terms of the channel rather than the format, it's where where are you reaching your audience? Where even are they to begin with? Because if you're just doing a using a channel to use it because it works well for what you created, but your audience isn't there, then your objective's going to totally be missed. So that's why the objective part is really crucial. Because if you're trying to link build and you're going to want your stuff published somewhere, people linking to it, that's the kind of pitching you have to do. Because you kind of, you touched on this when you said that people might not listen to the show. Promotions is a huge part of content, right? Everybody's putting stuff out there constantly. And uh, being cognizant of that is so important at the beginning of creating something. You have to have an idea of how you're going to promote it at the end of it. Whether it's through organic and you're going to try to rank for it whether you're going to try to pitch it to publishers, you know, whether you're going to promote it on social and your email list, having that idea will help you navigate the kind of format you're going to need for it. And, you know, that's, some people don't do that. They create the content and at the end they're like, okay, let's just like promote it in every way possible. But it really does help to have an idea of where that audience is. And that can help you better inform how you're actually going to create the content in the first place and what you'll go with. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know, I'm a relatively impatient guy. And um, yes, you can rank really quickly for some terminology. I, I remember when Instagram live video came out and, and I wrote about that, that shot up the, the, the SERPs right away. But that's rare, right? Usually it takes um, a couple months or I think it was B2B, according to I think it was Michelle Garrett, who shared that with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes like two years to get the height of your, your search rankings for content um so it's good to have early successes too right and and kind of celebrate them um how about content types so we have the written word we have the podcasting we have um images infographics how do you uh, how how do they yeah so like i said it depends on the idea and how you think you can best tell that story which i realize is kind of a nebulous answer it's like oh okay whatever works best for the story but you don't want to get too in-depth or convoluted. I think the most important thing to think of is being concise and clear. So how can you impactfully tell the story with the least amount possible? So people do video a lot of the time. While there, there is higher production there, the result can be very straightforward for viewers. So that's what I mean. It's thinking about the end product and what's going to communicate that data or that information the best. We actually did a survey last year where we surveyed 500 publishers, so writers at some of these the best media sites uh, in the country, and we asked them, what content formats do you wish you saw more of? Because this was of high interest to us and our clients. You know, what are they getting pitched all the time, but like, what do they actually want to see? And it turns out that long-form content is something they want to see more of, and data visualizations. And Above infographics was interactive infographics. So things that they are interested in that I think aren't really done a lot of the time, people people kind of whip things up and they send it out. But sometimes interactives, again, they're a high production value. Like you have to put a lot of work into them. But at the end, it makes it so much easier for the user to navigate through it and understand the information. Good examples of that are any data sets we've used where it's been able to be localized. We did a a crime map for ADT. And instead of just looking at the whole country and seeing maybe a heat map, you're able to type in your specific, I think of a zip code and see exactly what's going on in your area. I mean, that kind of interactivity 
can mean so much more to a user than a simple image would. So when you have that idea, it's really, especially when you have a methodology and you know how you're going to get the information, you got to think like a user and think, how am I going to digest this the easiest? How is it going to, what means the most to me? And how can that be like gotten across like the easiest way possible? Uh, so I think I'm not going to rule out any kind of form of content. Uh, any of them can be appropriate. It just, it, it depends. <laughs> and I know that's, that's like the quintessential marketing answer. Mm -hmm. It depends, but uh, it, it really does depend on uh, what the content is and, and not writing on just what's trending at the time, right? That was infographics for a while, blog posts, whatever it is, you know, people, a lot of people are doing podcasts it, that's all fine. You can do those things. You know, we both have podcasts. I'm not saying don't do things because they're trending, but you have to make sure that you have a strategy behind it and you're doing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. And podcasts, I just saw that the other day. There's, I think there's only like a quarter million active podcasts currently. And active, I think, was defined by, they had an episode in the last 90 days, one episode, which I would argue, I'm not sure that's <laughs> active, but um, but so anyway, my point is there's still a lot of, you know, like if, if more and more people start listening to podcasts, there's still something there to, to be made out of. Um, but OK, so were you saying that the, the most uh, the most requested pieces of content currently by consumers are interactive infographics and long form content? Not by consumers, but by currently? the people publishing it on media sites. So when you're these writers who are getting pitched up constantly by companies and when they open their inbox, what they want to see more of, they want to see long, like, like you said, mm -hmm. long form content was number one. D data visualizations was number two and interactive was number three. And when you say publisher, define publisher. I'm talking like Forbes, Huffington Post, all of these sites where you want oh, to see mm -hmm. your brand mentioned on. So this is all separate. What I'm talking about, I'm glad you asked that because I can just get stuck in my own jargon. Um, yeah, the online publishers, news sites. So instead of paying for that media, right? That's one route. You can do sponsored content and, or have an advertisement. We use content. We create valuable content and we pitch it. So these things are being covered. Like they'll say this study by ADT. Um, it's not paid for. Mm -hmm. So you really have to work to get uh, those. I mean, it's great links. It's great coverage. But the content has to be of a certain standard in order to accomplish that. But if you can, you can get amazing results from doing that. Um, but yeah, so those types of news sites, it's a high barometer for quality. But it's good to know that that's what they think is worth publishing are, are those three things is what they want to see more of. That doesn't mean they don't like what they get. It's just probably what they like that they don't get a lot. And you, you would hope, you know, that, that they're looking at what are people consuming right. and what's working with, with the audience. And that's what kind of why they're giving that answer. Um, long form content. I mean, I, I agree hundred um, percent. Even if people don't read it, right. But long form content is a lot easier to skim. Yeah. Um, yeah. And <laughs> You know, that's it's kind of the world we're in today. Um, so one thing, how about trying new types of content? So and, and, um, so when you say interactive um, infographic, I don't even know if I <laughs> yeah. write that. I don't even know if that's is that is that an infographic 
that's like it's doing something when I'm looking at it or it's only doing something when I click on yeah, it? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, you can have like motion graphics, like if the animated GIFs or anything that just move on their mm -hmm. own. But interactives mean that the user has to in, like interact with it in some way. So you would have to click on something or input something to get the value out of it. So like I said, that one example is a map where you can click on different areas or type in your zip code. You know, we've done calculator, calculators count as, you know, we actually included that as a separate thing on the survey. But really, like, you know, if you type something in and then it populates different information where you can click around and explore different things, those are interactive. It involves user participation in some way. An example, during the coronavirus um, pandemic here that I saw, I think that might fit. And you tell me <laughs> if I'm wrong. That's fine. Uh, first time today. Haha. Uh -huh. um, but so the, the, the stimulus package, right? I mean, certain um, Americans will get a certain amount of money. And the New York Times had an infographic or a graphic that you could go into and type in how much money you make, whether you're filing joint, uh, joint with your spouse or by yourself. Um, and um, then at the end, it would spit out whether or not they think you likely will get the full amount. And if you didn't get the full amount, it'll tell you how much they think you'll get. I mean, that's an Yeah, I mean, I think graphic, I guess, it's kind of semantic in terms of like, is it just a calculator because there's no like accompanying image or whatever? But like, you know, the, the, <laughs> the point is there. Yeah, like you have to participate in some way. Now, it could be more intricate, like I said, where there's just like more of a package of content that changes based on what you're entering, whereas a calculator might just give you the output. But the value, right, is there in either case. It's... Uh, <clears throat> where you can type something in and what makes it so great is that it's personalized. It's you finding out something about yourself and your situation rather than in general. Right. And even if you don't, even if it's on a calculator or an interactive localizing is really effective. We've seen that work very well. We might have national data, but when we pitch different journalists across the country, we'll pitch them what's relevant to them and their audience because localization like timeliness is also a newsworthy element. So if you, I highly recommend uh, anybody refreshing on newsworthy elements, like just Google what those things are and you'll see a lot of this stuff come up in the content that's really successful. How, so a lot of the discussion um, so far has really focused on how do you get content on, let's call it traditional media sites, right? I mean, whether they're all traditional or not, is probably debatable, but, but Forbes, right. That's a, it is a traditional media site. Um, some of those other um, journalists, same thing. How, how many content marketers do you actually think are thinking about that to pitch their content to those sites? I mean, is that uh, a common thing or is that just the, the That's a good question. I think that a lot of marketers think about it, not just for the top publishers. I think, they think about digital, we call it digital PR. So it's when you're using the content that you have and you're pitching it out rather than just doing like a standard press release, which is more traditional. Um, a lot of people do that for a variety of sites because it's a great link building tool. So a lot of SEOs have this on their mind. It's a white hat kind of authentic way. You're creating something of value to build really high quality links and the people who come to us, that's that's a common goal that they have. It's, it's part of a more holistic strategy. You can't just do that. So I don't think 
you know, a lot of people are, are solely focusing on that, but it, it is something that a lot of people come to us with, even if they've never tried it before. It's very uh, interesting to them to, to think, oh, like I can get those types of links and that type of coverage through content. And I never thought that was within my grasp before. But and you'll notice it when you look at that, that the news, when you read stories, you'll see that how many stories are covered, like studies are covered, surveys that are covered, uh, research that journalists write about. That's they look for really quality stuff like that. So, you know, it depends on what your brand has to say, what makes sense for your brand to contribute. Um, but I definitely think that SEOs and, and content marketers do think about this. And I think that they'll continue to even more because, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a good way to more organically get some of that high reach stuff that you kind of always wanted, those dream publications or that, that brand awareness. That's, that's pretty tough to get otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, how about some of these content things that come up on social media? I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, I took a picture today. Um, they had these, you know, we're recording this year during the, the coronavirus pandemic and schools are closed. So all these elementary schools are having parades, right? The teachers are driving through the neighborhoods um, like a parade and everybody's mm -hmm. waving at each other, social distancing, right? Still, still at play. Um, I took a picture of my daughter and now I can upload it uh, as a 3D photo. And I know that's not necessarily a new thing. It already, you know, was uh, announced many, many months ago, but now apparently uh, more brands and more um, pages have it. How about trying some of those new things as they come up? I mean, uh, do you recommend that that uh, teams look into that to try to maximize their performance? Or what's I think your, it's certainly worth exploring. It's it's this balance of like I said, you don't want to do things just to do them. So, but I think it's a great place to start brainstorming on. If you think you can really take any of these different things to start an, an ideation, so you can say, oh, we have this data set. What do we do with it? <laughs> or we have this format, like you're saying, this new content format. It's really cool instead of just jumping in and doing like the first thing we can think of, what is a story that would make sense to tell using that? So I think as long as it's executed the correct way where there's some kind of strategic thinking involved, I certainly think it's a good starting point to, to ideas. I mean, we're constantly looking for inspiration or sources of how can we make something that's new and different? So having a new innovative content format is just like another way to get that kind of inspiration and think about, it might make you think of a story angle you never thought of before because you weren't able to tell it without that medium, right? So as long as you're not doing it kind of randomly just to jump in with everybody, then yeah, I think it's definitely a great starting point. You know, the other thing, as, as you were talking about that, that just uh, came to my mind is, so even if I have, I don't even know how wide these three, uh, not 360, 3D video um, pictures can be, but let's say, you know, I mean, I still need to make them work on other channels too, right? So, I, I mean, if I if I get a good story that works on Facebook in 3D, how do I use that same story on uh, my yeah, other channels, yeah. right? Uh, that's, that's a good point where you can't just take a piece of content and think it's going to do the same, perform the same way across all different channels, right? It's uh, making sure that whatever you're producing makes sense for the audience of that channel. And I see even for normal, like standard text content, you see people do that. They replicate the same thing across social channels, even 
And that's not the most optimized way to do it because people even on between Facebook and LinkedIn aren't going to consume information the same way or take it the same way, let alone the technical uh, capabilities of some of these platforms if you do have something more innovative. So that's definitely something to consider. Especially when it's multimedia content, for sure. Great. Amanda, where can people find you on the web, connect with you? Oh, yeah, everywhere. <laughs> so uh, I work for Fractal, F-R-A-C.T-L. That's our site. So you can email me at Amanda at F-R-A-C.T-L. I'm on Twitter. Uh, my name there is Melanda, M-I-L-L-A-N-D-A. And um, yeah, my podcast is Cashing In on Content Marketing. So you can find that through the Fractal site or on iTunes or wherever you listen. But please feel free to reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions. Melanda on Twitter. M-I-L-L-A-N-D-A. It's a combination of my last and first name. Okay, got it. And then what's the what's the story? Fractal? Yeah, that's actually a good question. I don't how did they come up with that? I think it had something to do because like when you hear fractal, you think of like the word fractal, right? Like F-R-A-C-T-A-L. And I think it was back. It's actually uh, you know, the we were talking about the science of great content. I think they were thinking of like words that are scientific and geographic like it's math related and stuff and they just, i think it was just a matter of liking that word <laughs> i don't know don't quote me on that i wasn't around when uh, the discussion happened but uh, i think it's fun interesting yeah i well i mean every every company has a story certainly i worked for a company one time um they picked their name um so they would be near their main oh yeah in the phone book that's definitely one way to do it. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been all like so, so when people... just to kind of like recap everything we're saying, it's just like what the science and the strategy is of the content we create. I, know I, keep, I feel like I keep repeating myself, but it's so much about understanding why you're creating what you're creating and doing it in the most optimized way possible. So we were looking for a way to reflect that in the name. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Hello. Hi. Are you still there? I have a special offer for you. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. My going live book is now available on amazon.com. And if you're in the United States, I'm happy to send you a signed copy, which you can order at paypal.me forward slash C-T-R-A-P-P-E, C-T-R-A-P-P-E forward slash 12. Thanks for your interest. If you're not in the United States, I can't send you a signed copy, but of course you can order on amazon.com.